Welcome back, everybody, to the Talking Sportsbooks podcast. And coming up in this edition today, author and journalist Pete May joins me to talk about his new book. It's out this week, and it's called simply Massive. And it's a look at West Ham's journey to lifting the Conference League trophy last season in that dramatic late win over Fiorentina. Of course, it ended a wait of over four decades since they won the FA Cup in 79-80 when they were a team in the second division, no less. And, uh, of course, it also became only the second European trophy after that famous Cup Winners' Cup win of 1964-65. Now, whilst that might not quite be a Cinderella story, and if you do have a liking for those in particular, then the current edition of the show Watford Forever is one you should investigate. It's one of those stories that you need reminding did actually once exist in football. John Preston was the author. He joined me to look at the journey that took Watford from the depths of Division 4 with Elton John as chairman. And how they ended up amongst the elite of the old First Division in Europe and in an FA Cup final. All, of course, under Graham Taylor's management. Here then is a short clip from that podcast. If you want to listen to the edition in full, then go to the website www.talkingsportsbooks.com or stream it on any of the streaming providers. When we're talking about a club that was down on its its uppers, they weren't mm. just down on their uppers. I mean, this story begins in '75. Uh, they're relegated to Division Four. You've got a chairman, Mike Keane, who's promising no stone will be left unturned. And then they lose to Weymouth. They're off to Darlington. The club's doctors have resigned because they haven't been paid for months. The players have to go to a local doctor's surgery. I mean, it's totally laughable. You've got Ross Jenkins being hailed as this great new beginning of a a fabulous football player and then being told he's the worst signing ever. And on that day, Darlington, I think it was, uh, there's a young kid called Luther Blissett. So that is where we start. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we start at the bottom with Watford uh, <laughs> in 92nd place in the Football League um, and there were then, as there are now, 92 clubs in the Football League. So they were as low as they could possibly go. And Elton had taken them over, but he didn't have... I mean, he knew things had to change radically when he did take them over. And, of course, he was the first pop star to own a football club, which was taken in quite a lot of quarters, actually, as, as yet another sign that their country was going to the dogs. Uh, Elton tried to get Graham uh, and didn't. And then he phoned and offered him huge money, didn't he? 20 grand a year for being mm. in, for a club in Division 4. Uh, and he said, oh, yeah, I'm not interested. I'll get back to you again, maybe. Yeah, I mean... Um, he did, and then then he was all set to go to um, West Brom. Was it West? Yes, West Brom. Yeah, sorry, That's right. He was all set to go to West Brom, who were in the first division, and they were going places and all the rest of it. And um, and then um, Bert Millichip, who was the chairman of West Brom, was very very kind of patronising to Graham, which always kind of you know put his hackles up, and. Um, and assumed that having had this offer from West Brom, he wasn't going to entertain, that Graham wasn't going to entertain him. 
another offer from anyone else. And Graham, who was very honourable, said, "Well, I got it. You know, I feel I should tell you, I've had uh, I've had an offer from somewhere else." And and Militchip went, "Oh yeah, where?" And uh, Graham went, "Watford." And you know, Militchip virtually fell off his chair and said, "Watford, <laughs> Watford, you can't seriously, you know, think of going to a bunch of losers like that." And um, and in a funny sort of way, that sort of half made up Graham's mind. Uh, and this was before he'd even met Elton. He'd gone to see, he'd been to see Vicarage Road, the ground, which was even worse than uh, than he'd anticipated. Um, and um, and yet, you know, and then the next day, he he and Rita, his wife, went off and they met Elton. At his and home. I mean, I can only imagine at his home. like at the mansion in, in, in Windsor. But there was an immediate chemistry there. But again, I'm I'm thinking. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall at the meeting. So, you know, what do you want to achieve? Well, I've told the directors, we want to get into Division One. What about you? Oh, well, I want to get into Europe. Yeah. I was like, oh, I thought he was completely crazy. Uh, how much do you think it will yeah. cost? Um, well, maybe about a million. Right, let's give it a go. And, and, you know, Graham was fired up by that. And, and because there was this kind of extraordinary connection between them. And and they sort of just got one another, I think, from the word go. And there was a part of Graham that trusted Elton. He knew it was a big job. Maybe he didn't realise how big it was. I loved the piece about the scouting system. We do have a scout uh, who goes to local clubs and watches players, but he hasn't been that often. Why is that? Well, he's 94. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and the training uh, kit was a bag of kit lobbed yeah. into the middle of the dressing room. It was pick your own up. It's washed once a week. I mean, this really is at the, uh, at the bottom end here. He is starting right in the depths. Yeah, and I remember going to Watford, actually, in the late 70s. And I don't think it was necessarily any worse than other fourth division clubs. But, you know, God, it was rank. You know, the, the pitch was a just, it was, it was a mud bath. And, uh, you know, there was the kind of corrugated iron, the stand with a corrugated iron roof. And, and mushrooms were reputed to grow on the walls of the men's toilet. Yeah, needless to say, there was no women's toilet because there was absolutely no provision made for women at all. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was primitive in the extreme. Uh, he loved, Elton loved Graham Teller's bluntness about anything. If you asked him a question, he would get a blunt answer. And again here the two of them had this relationship where graham felt he was quite able within his rights to say if you don't sort something out i'm off and one of those came when he knocked on the door and again this is this is hilarious because there is a dog track there we know there's a greyhound track the physio's door shut he knocks on the door walks straight in and on the physio's table is a greyhound being treated yeah 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 because the greyhound had pulled a muscle or something, so the physio was giving it a massage and um, and basically said to Elton, you know, either the dogs go or I do. And Elton immediately said, right, right okay, the dogs go. And uh, and off they went. But, you know, the, the, so I suppose that counted as an improvement of sorts. What do you think Graham Taylor would have thought on day one when he's there and he's down pitch side and he looks to his left 
and he sees Elton in his six-inch heels tottering down the pitch side to take his position sat on the bench. Well, outright horror, um, because uh, he, he thought it was completely inappropriate behaviour. That was John Preston talking about his book, Watford Forever, released in the last month. It was written in conjunction with Elton John. You can listen to the story in full on the website or, as we said, stream it from anywhere. And it is one of those stories that looks like, on the face of it, is a work of pure fiction. You know, somebody with an overactive imagination. It's so unbelievable. But, of course, as we know, it is very true. And do keep a lookout as well for a selection of clips that we have picked up to make up the best of the first 50 editions of these shows. The current one, the first of 2024, features Mark Bright, who was talking about his journey from foster care to the Premier League. A really inspiring story, this. And it was one of the first books we featured. I think it was episode three or four. And you can still hear the full version of it on the website. So it is time to talk West Ham with Pete May, whose book Massive tells the story of West Ham's journey to winning the Europa Conference League in such dramatic fashion last year. And in the words of Rob Reiner, when he opened This Is Spinal Tap, this book captures not only the story, but the sights, the sounds and the smells of success. And answers that question that every West Ham fan really wants to know. Is David Moyes a legend? Or is he really Artie Fufkin? What's good here for me is that this is basically an ode to joy, isn't it? It's, it's the winning of a trophy. And realistically, when you look at it these days, the Premier League and, and an awful lot of clubs have got all a bit too snobby. It is you know, Champions League, qualification, fourth play, that is all that matters. And if you look at Newcastle United, for example... They had their four games. They went nowhere in a competition they weren't going to win. David Moyes embraced this right from the get-go. Yes, yeah, that was really impressive, actually, that he took it seriously. Because the uh, the book Massive actually starts with uh, when I went to the 1980 Cup final, um, which was, I think, three days before my final exams at university, uh, back when I was 20, and uh, saw West Ham beat Arsenal 1-0 and uh, assumed we'd become a, a major force in uh, English football for the uh, next 43 years. But unfortunately, <laughs> we won absolutely nothing. Uh, we almost did win the FA Cup, but for Steven Gerrard's wonder goal in 2006. But uh, yeah, 43 year- years later, we actually won something. And if you saw that sort of outpouring of joy and and on a glorious night in Prague. It really did mean something. And I know people sort of dismiss it as a tin pot trophy. No, well, they're the people... Just winning anything, yeah, is is wonderful. They're the people that you don't really care about, actually. Yeah. And as you said, you, you do begin that story back in this era that no longer exists. I mean, for some, that's a good thing. For others, it's a bad thing. 
And it's it's a tale, it's a great tale, isn't it, of you getting into the 1980 uh, Cup final, courtesy of somebody that you'd never met, flogging yes. you his son's ticket after he smuggled his son under the turnstile. Just yeah, a great that's, story. It's probably the most illegal thing I've ever done. <laughs> but I'm sorry. Yeah. It seemed worth it. And I love as well the way we we begin. You just sort of run through. It's like oh, you remember the ads in the programs in the in the eighties, Skull Lager and, and, and players number six. You know yeah. who, who was it? You you don't forget as well the fashion. You're there in your your, your Harrington jacket and your blue Levi's, uh, which is basically the the uniform. Oh yeah, that's right. And and John Lyle was chain smoking on the uh, on the on the uh, touchline. You know, it's a definitely a different era. You know, it's all sort of skull and uh, Kevin Keegan writing columns in the Sunday Mirror. You know, the adverts are, are great to look at again. Oh, oh, absolutely. And then Brian Clough. There was always the build up to these finals. Devout, wasn't it? And I, uh, just the quotes. Um, I had Gary Newborn on. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about these great stories with Clough. And here he is in the Daily Express, uh, rooking, yeah, floats like a butterfly, stings like one as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that that certainly did the team talk for West Ham in, back in 1980. Uh, and I don't know if Cloughy had been having had a few drinks before he wrote that, but he later did apologise to Brooking and regretted that he said that. But it certainly gave the whole team an incentive to go out there and beat Arsenal 1-0. And there was always great quotes and throwaway lines and banners. Fans had banners with things written on. Brooking sells more dummies than mother care. Uh, Devonshire the cream rice the pudding i mean these yes. things what, whatever happened to those banners fan banners with stuff like that on why don't we get yeah it's that all anymore? got a bit professional you know you could you could tell they're just on sheets that they've taken from their their mum's bedroom and you know hastily daubed something on in uh, in paint in the garden shed so uh, yeah it's lovely looking back at those it, it does start a bit like fever pitch the book i mean we're, you know we've had a bit you know the fashion thing there and then uh, we have a, a little note about the album charts who's in the album album charts here, yeah. <laughs> the, the undertones, uh, status quo, Black Sabbath, basically everybody that's still around now. Yeah, they're all still here and not much has changed. Uh, but West Ham were what was seventh in the second division. This was another rarity of your formative years watching them as well. Division two, you know. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it would be equivalent to sort of, I don't know, you know, Ipswich or, you know, I don't know, somebody from Birmingham City or somebody from the second division winning it now, you know, which would never happen. So, uh, yeah, it, it really was. I mean, how we did it and we managed to keep, um, you know, Brooking and Bonds and Devonshire, but despite being relegated, which, you know, that, that would not happen uh, these days at all. So, luckily, you know, Lyle managed to keep that side together. The next season, they did win the uh, the, the second division and get promoted. Um, and they went on to, well, they nearly won the title in um, 1986, but, but finished third eventually. Now, David Moyes' arrival, as we come back uh, to yeah. present time, midway through, it was 1718 season and saves the club from relegation and then there's no renewal of the contract what was the view of the West Ham fans uh, at that time after he saved them and the reward 
at the end of it was nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally, I thought he was very hard done by then because he'd he'd saved the club. He'd turned on Altovich from a winger, rather erratic winger, into a really good striker. And, um, you know, I, I could tell then he was sort of establishing something. But, you know, the club, I think, thought, oh, we can get a top-grade man- manager. And they went for the sort of much flasher option of Man- Manuel Pellegrini, hoping he'd take us to the next level. And it all went disastrously wrong. And then yeah. I, I think to give Sullivan and Gold credit, they did say event after one and a half years of Pellegrini, it's not worked. You know, will you come back to, to Moyes? Yeah, he spent a lot of money as well, didn't he, uh, Pellegrini, when he, he came in. He ended up 10th in that first season, but there was some big, big money. Haller, uh, Yarmolenko, yeah. Felipe Anderson. I mean, some big, big names on big money. And there was a lack of repayment from all of that investment. Yeah, and we got poor old uh, Jack Wilshire, who was sort of very injury prone at that stage. And I think he was on a three-year contract on big money. So yeah, a lot of the signings didn't work. Uh, so Moyes is back, uh, Bowen's in, Suchek's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was remarkable, really, because they end up, what, sixth uh, into Europa League and again went off and made signings. How many great nights did you have in that European run in that first season with uh, with David Moyes? You know, I mean, severe for one. Oh, yeah, that, that emotion when um, Yarmolenko got the winner and it was just after the start of the Ukraine war as well. You know, that was really something special. And, and it sort of invigorated the whole stadium. Everybody had said the London Stadium couldn't work. And, and that night, the atmosphere was just so electric that, uh, you know, it suddenly started to feel like a, a home for West Ham sort of after four years. Um, so, yeah, we had some great nights and winning away 3-0 away at Lyon as well. And C- Craig Dawson what became a Ballon Dawson uh, and, uh, <laughs> scored in that game. But, yeah, they were unlucky to lose the semi-final. It did look like they'd win the Europa, Europa League for a time. and But then it seemed our chance had gone after Eintracht Frankfurt knocked us out. And um, we sort of got ended up in the uh, Europa Conference. Oh, that was it as well, wasn't it? You'd lost the semi-final. I mean, I tried Frankfurt were a good team, by the way. You know, I mean, they were a really good team. Uh, On the final day of the season, you lose that and end up in the in the conference uh, conference league. Yeah, which felt like uh, you know we'd really lost out. Um, They lost to Brighton on that final game, but um, yeah, credit to Moyes. You know, he never treated it as a second-rate competition from. The first game, which was a playoff against uh, Viborg, I think. Um, yes, yes. You know, he said, we're going to take it seriously. We did play a lot of Borgs. We played Viborg and Silkborg, but not beyond Borg. <laughs> uh, it's always good as well to get to know the groups, the fan groups, the who you go with. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you have a fairly eclectic mix. We have a retired Nigel who uh, has more than a passing interest in what's going on in the world of heavy metal and prop. <laughs> um, Indeed. Oh, fabulous. I mean, the, I mean, we do mention in the book that he's off to see Deep Purple, Uriah Heap and Girls School. Uh, there's Michael, the Renaissance man, who wrote a biography of the guy that played the brigadier 
in Doctor Who, Nicholas Courtney. He did indeed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's. Uh, I think most fans will identify with that. You know, you you go with a group of people, and yeah, you know, we've all got our own little foibles. And you know, there's my pal Matt, who sort of endlessly is looking for obscure stats about uh, West Ham and goes to games uh, every obscure game he could he can imagine. So but you Mike know, I've written a, a stage a musical rather about <laughs> Soft Cell. What, yeah, he's, he's Renaissance Bad, Soft Cell. You know, the Brigadier yeah. out of Doctor Who. He's uh, He's done everything. Uh, there's, there was the guy who uh, went to a party with Jack Nicholson. What was his name? Fraser. Yeah, Fraser. Fraser. Yeah. Uh, we got Matt, the obscure grandman, and uh, Lisa, who is uh, well, basically, it looks like she stalks Bucks Fizz. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I think she's their number one fan. And yeah, Matt and Lisa did go to four games in one weekend that season. They saw. West Ham first team, the women's side, the under twenty one, and the under eighteens. So, yeah, well, it's good because you do you you get a, an introduction to these anti families. So it's nice to know about the the characters. Um, your partner, your wife, who, who's into paddleboarding. Your um, daughter Nell is at university and goes out with a Spurs fan. So I believe I might have yeah, got that. Yeah, yeah, and, um, and and my other daughter dates an Arsenal fan, Lola. So. Uh, that's me. I'm, I'm just hoping they'll meet crime. a nice man from Essex who's a, who's a West Ham fan. And the uh, the one line in there that I did find very amusing: um, Why is it you were asked uh, that they are all calling Marlon Harewood an anchor? Yes, indeed. When Nell was about seven, that was what she asked. And- I've not dared break it to her that they were not calling him an anchor. It's something much worse. There's a, there's a, quite a deal made as well, and, and football fans that are listening to this, to this of which uh, there are quite a few usually, um, the meeting up with your friends beforehand is, is all about where you're meeting. Uh, the, the move from Upton Park to, to Stratford, I mean, this, this poses quite a problem, doesn't it, about where you're going to go. And there was, there was quite a lot of work that's gone in to actually seeking out uh, the, the perfect environment to, uh, to prepare and for after-game moaning and... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's right. Yeah, we used to all meet in, in Ken's CAF uh, in Green Street uh, at Upton Park. But, yeah, there was a lot of research involved. We tend to meet in the, the best Metze cafe on Stratford Broadway now. And I th- um, for after games, I mean, we tried about sort of 20 different pubs. Uh, it's a tough job, but somebody had to do it. But eventually, <laughs> we settled on the, the Eagle, which is at... Uh, sort of on the Leighton sort of Stratford borders, which is quite a walk from the ground. But we've um, we've discovered our favoured uh, watering hole uh, of choice uh, now. Good jukebox in there, by Good the way. jukebox, yeah. And we sit and discuss things such as bands whose name begins with, with Z, amongst <laughs> other obscure <laughs> topics. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Uh, so, Moise, you've, you've got all that done and sorted. Moise has taken the competition seriously. Tottenham were dreadful in it and ended up not fielding teams. I mean, it was it was a joke. And then Jose goes and wins the first European trophy for Roma in 60-plus years doing it. Yeah, but and he was in tears. He took, he took it seriously, didn't he? He did, but the fans came out, didn't they? Yeah. For, for this. There, were, there was over 30,000 for a game against uh, Viborg um, to start with. And uh, they did have a player called, it, it is Groot, but I, I, <laughs> yeah. when you write it, it looks like Grot. Grot. 
Yeah, there was there's always material there. I think they had a, a Mr. Bond as well. Brilliant. And uh, what were the thoughts of the West Ham uh, support on your, your away kit, the, the white and the orange? Well, initially, everybody hated it. You know, it, it's now looked on as this wonderful kit, but we all thought it looked a bit like sort of Blackpool's discarded away kit. <laughs> yeah, you know, it just goes to show, you know, if you win a famous final in it, then suddenly, you know, they're selling tons of replica copies and, and we all love it now. Now, West Ham sometimes pull out these what look on the face of it, unlikely signings. Now, to get Paqueta was was a big deal. I mean, a lot of money, 50 million, to sign him from Lyon. But that was a big uh, statement, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And, and he took quite a long time to adapt to the Premier League. But sort of by the end of that season... You know, he start. You start to really see his class, and uh, and what surprised me was he was he was a really hard tackler. You know, he's working really hard. He wasn't that typical Brazilian player who was just flair and nothing else. Um, but yeah, and and he, I mean, he supplied that moment of magic in the final when he just suddenly played that instant through ball to Bowen with sort of one minute left, and uh, you know, you knew that game was a war of attrition, but eventually the, it slowed a little and Paqueta just really showed his class in that moment. And yeah, he made the winner. You, you found the first two games. Now, there's one game that I doubt you will you will ever forget, really. Uh, the home game against Stad Bucharest, uh, because the, the news coming in at the time was that the, the, the Queen was, was ill and then the Queen had passed and it was too late to postpone the game. I mean, what when you look back, what was the atmosphere like that night in and around coming into the ground and at the ground? Yeah, it was very strange. I just remember just sort of getting the news about 6.30 outside. I mean, I think everybody knew the Queen was ill um, and it was probably, you know, probably she, she, she died already. But it was that weird. We didn't know whether it was going to be on or off and... You know, my my friend Matt, who's a reporter, had to he had to go off and report on it, so he he actually missed the game. But um, I mean, they did a nice tribute. I think they had a picture of the Queen with Bobby Moore at half time, flashed up on the screen. And and yeah, there there was a chorus of uh, I think God Save the Queen before the game as well. The performances in Europe, the the early stage, everything's going well, but the performances in the Premier League were a cause for major concern to to a lot of people, um, a, lo- a lot of fans, and they were talking about you know this this cup this this conference thing. It's a distraction. It's a total distraction. Yeah, there's going to be maybe fifteen games. You know, is it worth it? Should we be fielding a full strength side? Yeah, and and actually Moyes handled it pretty well because I think teams like Brighton now are finding it's really difficult that sort of Thursday, Sunday, endless grind of lots and lots of fixtures. But yeah, I mean, I think that the league form really suffered and a lot of the signings like Skamaka didn't really come off. Gerd was injured, Paqueta was adapting, Emerson took time to adapt as well. So, I mean, Moyes, it's a strange season because it ends up in glory, but there's three sort of separate games when there's lots of rumours Moyes could be sacked. And if he if he doesn't beat uh, Fulham, you know, was the last game, there was it was thought he was going to be sacked. Yeah, he always seemed to pull pull it out in those in those games and, and get the results and and you know I'm glad that we did keep him. The board the board deserve 
a degree of credit here mm. for knee-jerk reactions not taking place. Back in the January, I mean, you've qualified by the group stage in the in the conference, January 2023, you've lost five games in a row. And then you've got a report in The Guardian saying that Moyes has been clashing with uh, senior players and is sticking with him risky. You know, should they just, you know, bite the bullet and get rid of him? And Moyes is saying on the flip side of it, we just need a break. I mean, that's the quote of a manager under pressure, isn't it? Everything's going wrong. We just need a break. And then you've yeah. got the media, as you well know, just beginning to gang up. There's a story there. Yeah, I mean, it, it happened, you know, when they lost 5-1 at home to Newcastle. They lost 4-0 away at Brighton and there was a lot of questions. And, and then... Uh, you know, I think there was also a game against Everton that was billed as El Sacico, which he had to win. But yeah, credit to the board for sticking with him because, you know, I always thought he'd earned some credit from getting to the Europa semi final and finishing sixth and seventh and twice keeping us up as well. So um, it did show. And I, I think the three teams that went down had all sacked their managers. Um, yeah, yeah. In some cases, two managers in the, the case of Leeds um, and Southampton. So, you know, it did show that continuity worked and, you know, eventually, as he said, a lot of those signings bedded in and things improved. And, they, they you know, once they got a bit of confidence towards the end of the season, because um, it was a strange season because we knew Declan Rice was probably going to go as well. Um, but he played his heart out right till the end. And then sort of the final month, it all started to come together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about those key uh, games of the, the the one one draw against uh, Leeds United, the loss to to Wolves, which made it one point in yeah. twenty one. Uh, one win in ten in the bottom three. Paquetta's not performing, and you mentioned it. It was a significant game, El Sakico, because it was Frank Lampard at um, Everton who was having uh, an equally as bad a time as David Moyes and. Martin Samuel, you make a note, uh, was writing in the press prior to the game saying, listen, the ideal replacement for David Moyes, if they sacked him, would be David Moyes. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was a clever column, actually. Um, because, yeah, he, he, would, he would have been exactly the sort of manager you'd call to sort of, you know, get, get you out of the uh, relegation fight. Um, and I can see, you know, a lot of fans didn't like his style of football or the sort of uh, sitting back and playing reactive football. But, um, you know, it was, um, you can't argue. It's, it's got results and unless you're going to get Klopp or Guardiola and bring in Haaland and De Bruyne, you know, you can't always do it. Some of the names that were mentioned at the time, because obviously fans are clamouring for him to be fired. Mm. Uh, Pochettino uh, and Tuchel were, were, were two names there. But, I mean... I don't think Pochettino was ever going to get there, and even even less so were uh, Thomas Tuchel, obviously. But then you mentioned uh, Sean Dyche, uh, Rafa Benitez, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, and Big Sam. So you're starting quite high up the scale. Yes. You get to Big Sam, you're getting really desperate for candidates. I mean, you would arguably say that Moyes was better qualified than any of those that you just mentioned there, apart from Pochettino and Tuchel, maybe. 
Yeah, and certainly, you know, he he knew that league, and um, yeah, and people like sort of Jesse Marsh were being <laughs> mentioned, and sort of Ralph Hasenhutel. So you know, it wasn't. I don't think there was anybody better out there really who would have come to West Ham. And you know, I think patience is a uh, isn't very often shown in football now. But you know, credit to the board, they they did, and and it paid off. And this season, I mean, we're sixth again. So I know the fans are incredible. Still- there's still a minority who sort of won't ever take to, to David Boys, but I think most fans can see what he's done and are, are grateful for it. At that time, that Sakiko game, you'd won eight games in Europe and four in the in the Premier League. Uh, but causing equal amounts of consternation was the fact that Ebb, Chips and Beans and Tea had gone <laughs> up to eight quid at the Mets Metze Cafe. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was... A- yeah, there's quite a lot about food in the book, actually. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was always a shock. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we have to put up with this as well as uh, as well as losing matches. Yeah, I think one of the other the, the conversations you were having, it might have been at the at a pub up in, in Leighton. Uh, Cucciarella, could he have been in Metallica? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I've tried to put a lot of those in the, in Massey of the Miracle of Prague just to get that sort of sense of fans having a drink after the game. And well, we tend to discuss everything except the game. Uh, it's, it's all sort of obscure trivia and, yeah, quite a lot of heavy metal uh, mentions. In fact, uh, my editor at Biteback, I did have to explain to her who Emerson, Lake and Palmer Oh, were. my God. Because um, are... you have to be a certain age to remember that. So. <laughs> you are kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, most people in publishing are sort of in their thirties now, so you, you know, they've never heard of Deep Purple or oh. Metallica. Oh, how they can't possibly have heard of Metallica is an absolute mystery <laughs> to me. The amount of press they get and coverage, and um, yeah. and a very good last album, by the way, I yeah. have to say. Which got, oh, well, I'll tell Nigel that. Well, well, tell Nigel. Seventy-two seasons was an amazing album, and yeah. what was even more amazing about that was it got a five-star review in the Financial Times Weekend section. Believe it or not. Oh, uh, good stuff. But e- even stranger. In terms of the statistics at that time, you hadn't scored, not you, West Ham hadn't scored from a cross all season. Yeah, that's right. It was quite amazing, really, because I think the previous two seasons, they'd been really good at scoring from set pieces and my sides really are pretty efficient at them. But yeah, it seemed to be a real outlier of a season. And and towards the end, they suddenly started, they hadn't scored in the first 15 minutes either, I don't think. But then suddenly, I mean, they, they won 4-0 at Bournemouth and scored from a couple of corners quite early on. Did you start thinking at this time, when you when you get the draw and you get AK Larnica, so you've missed out on Lazio, you missed yeah. out on Fiorentini, you missed out on these. Is it one of those where you're nudging each other uh, quietly and whispering, I think this might be our year? Yeah, we start after Larnica. We we were quite optimistic. I think we're all we're all very superstitious, and we we don't ever uh, dare say we might win it in case that that jinxes us. So uh, it wasn't really until the semi final that it suddenly occurred. And even then, I think most of us thought uh, we'll blow it somehow against uh, Altmar. But then uh, Pablo Fornals marvelously uh, scored in the final minute of the away leg uh, to send us through. So. Uh, 
But interestingly enough, again, going back to the in, in the book, just before you get there, after the game against Ghent uh, of Belgium, there is this conversation among supporters about, so, um, right, okay, lads, uh, would you take relegation if we won the Conference League? Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, quite a lot of people did say they'd be happy to get relegated if we actually won a trophy, which... You know, I wasn't so sure myself. I mean, I, I was hoping that we could actually stay up and win it. But a lot of people did say yeah, they've never seen West Ham win anything in their lifetime. You know, they, they'd take a trophy and if we got relegated, so be it. So, you know, although people derided that trophy, it really meant something. And you could see from the celebrations, I mean, our celebrations seem to be much more passionate even than Man City, who'd won the, the treble. Um, yeah, you know it really means something when you've waited forty three years. David Sullivan, this is on the blog. Yeah, David Sullivan and Moisey are like Thelma and Louise in <laughs> West Ham over a cliff. So, despite the fact that you are edging toward a European final, they are still clamouring for the head of the coach. Yeah, that was on my Hammers in the Heart blog. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, there's there's certain people who just, you know, never taken to Moyes. And I think whatever happens there, they're not happy with him. But, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, there's still people complaining now on West Ham are sixth. But, yeah, that, yeah, that particular comment was proved to be uh, not very prescient because he didn't take us over a cliff. He took us uh, up a mountain. <laughs> And, and so you get to the final, that late 4 nails goal in the in the semi-final against a, a, a difficult backdrop in, in Alma. And then we get to this ridiculous situation with UEFA putting a final of a major European trophy in a 20,000-seat stadium uh, in Prague. I mean, it, it is quite ridiculous. I don't know why. What they could do when you look back at it now for this, if they really are concerned about it not being in a position where you get somebody like West Ham in a final, and you know that if you if you played it at Wembley, they'd have 50,000 there of their own supporters. Yes. So they don't want that because it might overshadow Europa League and you know and, and Champions League. But is, is there a case maybe for going back to the old UEFA Cup days when it was the final home and away. Yeah, there would be, because certainly, you know, we'd have 62,000 fans would have got to see the first leg at um, the London Stadium. And yeah, it was, I think it was even less than 20,000. It was 19,000 and something, the, the capacity at the Eden Arena. So I know they're trying to spread football around Europe, but it just seemed a much too small venue. And I, mean, I never thought I'd, would get a ticket, but I must thank my mate Dennis, who came up with a uh, contact at UEFA, who managed to get us in, which was great. Um, but yeah, it was um, so many people didn't get to see it that that was really sad. And yeah, I mean, I think that would be quite a good idea, two legged final. You were there as a 16 year old, weren't you, in 1976, uh, watching uh, oh, Eintracht semi. yeah. and the semi final of the, of the Cup Winners' Cup? So, um, and of course, went on to lose the final against in Anderlecht. But what people failed to realise was West Ham had won a European trophy 
in in that time. It's just nobody wanted to acknowledge the fact that the Intertoto was indeed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you beat Jokerit, Wren and Metz in that thing. And you know what? To this day, isn't it amazing about that, the Intertoto? People think it was A, played for a trophy. They can never remember who was in it. Never yeah. mind who won it. And it always seemed to be – because I remember uh, Tottenham – Ended up playing at the old, I think they played at the Goldstone Ground. <laughs> yes. The team down there uh, when they got in it. But West Ham did win that. We did, yeah. And my, my friend Fraser was there and still maintains it's a, a proper trophy. But, uh, yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was only three games. Yeah, Joker, it was a, a classic name. But uh, <laughs> I think most people don't count it as a trophy. Uh, they're saying if he doesn't win it, rather. If he doesn't win the final of the Conference League, he could be sacked. So they're still taking it right until the end of the final game. They're not giving him an inch. Uh, but if he wins, he is the most successful manager since Ron Greenwood and John Lyle. So that yeah, that gives you a bit of a perspective of, of just about the size of the achievement here. Yeah, I mean, Moyes, you know, for all the sack threats and everything else, you know, he's, he's now ended up there with, um, yeah, John Lyle and Ron Greenwood as, you know, one of West West, West Ham's the three most successful managers. So, yeah, lovely scenes at the end when he runs on the pitch and uh, does his sort of dad dancing and uh, joins in singing a rather rude song about Jared Bowen and Danny Dyer as well. <laughs> Uh, so tell me, how popular were you amongst your fellow group of fans when um, you had to admit that you did know somebody who'd come up with a ticket? Yeah, it is one of those, you know, you wish you could try and get everybody in. But uh, I don't know, I guess when that opportunity comes, you just you just have to take it by uh, by any means necessary. But uh, yeah, I felt sorry for everybody you couldn't go. Uh, you, you turned it into uh, a bit of an event, though, didn't you? Because you flew to Munich. And then got the train yeah. to to Prague, but you did have to wear a suit. I did, I did, because we were in with the prawn sandwich brigade, so uh, sort of pretending to be uh, vaguely official in some way. But uh, yeah, it was um, it was a great great day, and we were sort of right at the side with a fantastic view of the pitch. Um, so and. And yeah, we did see, we bumped into Ludek McClosko, who comes from the oh, Moscow, yeah, yeah. the old West Ham goalkeeper. Yeah. And, and we saw David James after the game. James well, Corden, so. all the celeb fans. <laughs> yeah, it was great for spotting celebs. I think anybody who is anybody, you know, managed to beg, buy or borrow a ticket somehow. Um, and the media narrative had had changed. So you'd gone from The Guardian, yeah. if you saying saying, yeah, he's risky. Yeah. You're falling out with all the players now in the Times. You, you can almost see them there, uh, standing there with their you know thumb and forefinger on their chin, saying, "Yes, you know, he's humble, he's loyal, you know, and he has you know very his standards are very good, you know, and he's taken all the influences from his his father, um, who ran what was it? It was Drum Chapel Amateurs, and and he'd learned everything, and he is this very humble guy, and you, you should be lucky to have him." Yeah, it's certainly. I mean, there was a lovely scene at the end where he gives his puts his medal around his dad's uh, neck, uh, David Moyes. So, yeah, I mean, it did sort of seem to shift, and suddenly there was a little reappraisal. And I think for years since he, you know, got sacked at Man United, people had been sort of laughing at Moyes, and you know, he'd uh, 
got relegated with Sunderland and uh, hadn't done too well in Spain. But yeah, it's, it's sort of a, it's a tale of sort of personal redemption for him as well as as also the uh, redemption after forty three years for the West Ham fans. So so yeah, great moment for him and and you know his joy looked looked you know absolutely overwhelming at the end. And you look at Moyes' record. Uh, Preston to the championship playoffs, nine top eight finishes with Everton, uh, 30 minutes from a Champions League semi-final with Manchester United, twice a West Ham from relegation, sixth and seventh place finishes in the Premier League, a European semi-final and winning a European trophy. Now, if somebody sent you the a CV in and you were a club outside of, you know, Arsenal, Tottenham, maybe Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United. You're looking at it thinking, this guy's record is exceptional. Yeah, and he's done it at, you know, unfashionable clubs. You know, Man United is the only big club he's really managed where he wasn't given much of a chance. But yeah, to, to take, you know, I bet Everton would be happy to have him back now. Um, and wow. certainly, yeah, yeah. you know, certainly for West Ham, you know, top top six, sixth or seventh you know that's that's probably honestly as high as we're going to get without you know without a country buying us or some billionaire so you know you've got to think he's a really good manager especially as he's lasted it's so thousand and ninety seven games yes and he picked up a trophy for the for the first uh, for the first time uh you know you you know I, I remember watching it. I mean, that moment, you know, the pa- uh, Paqueta to, to Bowen and through. I mean, you know, the, the drama was unbelievable. You know, it does at that moment, it doesn't matter whether it's the Champions League, the, the Intertoto, you know, you're about to win something in the most dramatic fashion possible. It was an unbelievable moment. Oh, it was, yeah. And, and after that, I just remember there was eight minutes of added time. And I just remember a feeling of, abject terror because I knew I mean the couple next to me who were Italian walked out and I just thought you know no West Ham could throw this away you know it's not over yet so uh, you you never as a West Ham fan you never underestimate our ability to sort of lose a lead but uh, you know somehow we held on and uh, there's such a feeling of relief at the final whistle you know what a moment but I love the uh, commentary as well about um, legends, history makers. Moyes has made it happen. You know, that still makes most of us have goosebumps, you know, listening to that again. And numerous mid-level clubs. You, you've mentioned this in the book from big cities. You think of them. Aston Villa, Nottingham Forest, Everton, you know, West Ham in there, Leeds United, uh, Sunderland, even, even Newcastle United. And I'm going to put Tottenham uh, mm. in there. To actually be able to get, get into a competition that you you know you've got a, a potential chance of winning, as opposed to being in a competition you've got no chance of winning. Yeah, what from a fan's perspective, has that changed your view on the Conference League, the Europa League? Yeah, because if we look at the League Cup, you look at the FA Cup, and you look at the Premier League t- t- title outside of Chelsea. Arsenal, Liverpool, City and United. Don't think I've left anyone out there. Nobody else has won anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, and people forget that you also get in the Europa League if you win the um, absolutely the conference as well. So, you know, that was a bonus. And that was the first time we'd ever had three seasons in a row of European football at West Ham. So, 
you know, again, that's another first. I know somebody, but, by the way, is listening to this going, what about Blackburn Rovers? What about Leeds? <laughs> what about Leicester City? Well, I'm yeah. not included. Oh, well, there's lots of smaller clubs. Yeah. You know, Leicester did win something at least. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, take it seriously because, um, yeah, you could see Roma took it seriously and their fans haven't forgotten it. And I hope Aston Villa take it really seriously because it'd be great for their fans to win a trophy. Wow. How serious did uh, Jose Mourinho take it in the uh, in the Europa League last year when he didn't follow up the Conference League with a Europa League win? Oh, yeah. He followed the ref into the car park, I think, didn't he? Straw talks about him very fondly yeah. <laughs> to this day. So what is the future for David Moyes? I mean, we've seen the good and the bad again this season. I saw them at Bristol City, mm. where they were dreadful. Yeah. Um, you've just made a great start to the season and you've made a brilliant signing i think with calvin phillips yeah uh, as it, um if it's if it's signed off if it, if it looks nice if it's, is it signed off yeah hopefully it is yeah because he's a good player um but yeah i think i mean they've had a injury crisis recently and they missed kudos and Aguerd who were at the african cup of nations um and i think there's a an injury to paqueta so he's he's out for two months um which is a big blow but you know you just you just think you know hopefully Moyes has got the uh the know-how to to keep us up there and you know the squad yeah you know, the squad could still be better it's still not very big but you've got to say the signings this season have been really good Alvarez Ward Prowse who's a very underrated player who we got for 30 million and you know Kudos uh has been good too so yeah you know hopefully you know I'm definitely looking at top eight this season and does he stay does Moyes remain as coach or is he still in that unenviable position of literally being you know 24 hours away from get him out I mean I noticed that the game against Bristol City when they lost that was the same day that Mourinho lost his job Jose Jose there's your replacement yeah, who, who, and I'm sure there's an element of fans at any club who would always moan, you know, whoever whoever the manager was. Yeah, but I hope he's not always sort of 24 hours away from a, a crisis still because, I mean, people don't seem to appreciate that, that you know, they, they've had injuries, they've lost players. And, and even when uh, at Sheffield United on Sunday, when he brought Glenn Johnson on, he was getting uh, a few chances if you don't know what you're doing. But, you know, Ashley Johnson played really well and he was playing in midfield. He wasn't in defence. So you've got to think, you know, Moyes actually sees the players in training. He he looks at them every day. You know, he, he might actually know more about it than, uh, than we do just as punters. So, uh, you know, I think keep him on next season, give him a chance, you know, see what else he can do. That was Pete May talking about his new book, Massive, which is released on January the 30th and is available from all the usual outlets. And that is it for this edition. Don't forget, you can listen back to every one of the first 50-odd editions either on the website at www.talkingsportsbooks.com or via any of the main streaming providers. Until next time then, from me, Tim Capel. Bye-bye for now.